You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Last week, we began to look at how God's great desire from the beginning of creation is to be with us. And we looked at how he's expressed that in various ways. But even in all of that desire from him and that effort from God, he still leaves it to us to make the choice to be with him. So today we're going to talk about our choice to move toward God, and we're going to consider what it means to pursue a relationship with him. Here is our central verse for the day. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then he, in joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Now, this isn't some treasure-seeking guy. This isn't Indiana Jones. But upon discovering it, he knew it was life-changing. And when he invested in the field, he got a lot more in return than just a plot of land. You see, when we make the choice to be with God, it doesn't mean that we go up and find ourselves sitting on a mountain somewhere learning how to chant. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to eat just one meal a day or pray and read the Bible 23 hours a day. We can learn to be with Jesus in every part of every day. As Christ followers, as disciples, there's a treasure to be found by being with Jesus, and it is worth everything we can invest to spend our day with him. So here's a simple definition. A disciple is someone who seeks to make each day a chance to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to become like Jesus. As we consider what it means to make the choice to be with Jesus every day, I'm going to cover three aspects of life in which illustrate how interwoven the fabric of our lives are, three ways in which we choose to be with Jesus. So let's start with work. How do you work with Jesus? And why I start with work is because for many of us, the most concentrated part of our day in our waking moments is spent at work. And did you know that how we work and how we approach our work can actually have a life and death decision to it? This is very significant. One study discovered that outside of genetics, the one most important predictor of longevity of life had to do with work satisfaction. Now that you know that, some of you are wondering, am I going to die at any moment because I have no work satisfaction? Since work is such an important part of our lives, I think it's important to talk a little bit about the biblical perspective of work. Because you see, over the last couple of centuries, due to the Industrial Revolution, we've come to equate work with having a job, which means we get a paycheck. And the result is we distinguish between those who work and those who don't work. So what we do is put many people in the category, those that are retired, that are stay-at-home parents, that are unemployed, and we tend to think of them as not working. Now, 
you may have heard many times before that there is no such thing as a dumb question. Oh, yes, there is. You ask a mom of young children, do you work? That's a dumb question. So we have to redeem the biblical definition of work because it encompasses far more than what our culture has defined. The biblical perspective is that work has to do with serving God as you and I seek to benefit the lives of other people through our work. Work includes paid employment. Work also includes household chores. I heard the story of a a husband who was sitting on the couch reading his newspaper while his wife, eight months pregnant, was in the kitchen on her hands and and knees waxing the floor. His mother-in-law walks in and, 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 and exclaims, how can you let my daughter do this? He peers over his newspaper and said, I tried to help. I told her if she would tie a rag around her huge belly, she'd get done twice as fast. No one ever saw him again. Work includes study and, and schoolwork. It also includes our volunteer service at church and in the community. There's a fundamental statement in the Bible that serves as a kind of directive that we should all strive for related to work. Here it is. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So as it relates to our being with God Here are some questions to ask yourself. Am I making my work an idol? Do I sacrifice time and energy that ought to go to my family or friendships or rest or or prayer? How do I treat my coworkers? If I'm in a position of authority, how do I treat those who report to me? Am I truthful and fair? Do I work for their growth and development? Do I regularly ask God for help and guidance and wisdom in my work? Am I honest in my work? And is my work in line with my sense of how God has called me and gifted me? And if not, then what steps do I need to make toward that direction? And how can I, in the meantime, continue to to serve and work in the job that I'm in with diligence. You see, whatever activity we constitute as work, how we choose to do it reflects our choice to be with God or move away from God. It's important to remember that one of the best learning opportunities most of us have to discover the truth about ourselves is through work because work is often an intensive environment that God uses to test and shape us To become more like Jesus. So tomorrow, when you go to work, take a moment before you start and say, here's my chance to learn from Jesus how to live in his kingdom. A second area where we can make the decision to be with Jesus is through our lifestyle choices. We all make choices about how we're going to spend our time. We all make choices about how we're going to spend our money what our pace of life will be, 
will we live in debt? How many commitments will we make? How much pressure will we be under? These have an enormous impact on our ability to get close to God or move further away. The Apostle Paul said, do not conform to the pattern of this world. As another translation puts it, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. But what happens is the world says, move faster. So we do. But when we move faster, it cuts into our prayer time. And then we become more anxious and increasingly angry and eventually unable to love. You see, if if Satan can't get us to defy God outright, he'll settle for making us real busy. Pastor and author John Ortberg tells of a time that he was in Germany for a ministry assignment. It was a, a weekend, a full weekend. He flew out of Chicago on a Friday night, arrived Saturday afternoon. Here's how he described the weekend. He said, I arrived Saturday afternoon and did four talks, a question and answer session, a couple of magazine interviews, and a radio broadcast in 48 hours. There was still one interview left to go, so we decided to do that in the car on the way back to the airport. On the Autobahn, where there is no speed limit, we didn't have much time until we had to catch our plane. I looked up, and the driver was doing 230 kilometers, somewhere a little over 140 miles per hour. And I'm saying on the recorder, hurry is the great enemy, the spiritual life of our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. He said, next to me out the window, the German countryside was just an absolute blur. The guy from the States that was with me was sitting in the front seat thinking, this is how I'm going to die. Speeding at the, at the speed of sound in Germany, listening to a guy in the back seat drone on about how I need to eliminate hurry from my life. So what is the pace of life in which you can live and still be intimately connected to God? What's the pace of life at which you can live to be able to effectively love people and in Enjoy life. And some of us aren't going to like to hear this. God did not make you to work all the time. This might come as a shock to those of you who are type A's. But part of God's will for you is to rest, relax, play, create, be renewed. The point is we each need to come to a place where we can say, I will need God's help to make decisions wisely. Now, carry that wisdom principle into other aspects of your life, a job change, a relocation, a new relationship. Anytime you make a major life decision, you need to ask the question, how will this impact my ability to follow Jesus Christ? As a parent, as a spouse, as a friend, so on. If you're going to make the decision to be with Jesus through your lifestyle choices, saying yes to Jesus means you're going to have to say no to some things. What do you need to say no to? Maybe you, see, maybe you need to say no to debt. Perhaps you'll take a financial management course or start to make the move from financial pressure to generosity. Generosity. 
Maybe you need to say no to certain time commitments. There could be activities in your or your kids' lives that aren't bad in and of themselves, but they just contribute to the overall pace of life that's not healthy. Maybe it's a major purchase that could put you under financial pressure that's not healthy. Maybe it's a need to honor the Sabbath. Then there's a third area that we can make the choice to be with Jesus, and that's in our relationships. Have you considered that when you are with people, you are actually making the choice either to be with Jesus in those relationships or exclude Jesus in those relationships? Every day you are interacting with people. Every interaction is a chance to learn from Jesus how to form a loving heart. For instance, the moment of greeting is an important moment. Every culture has a certain expression or ritual in their greeting that says, you're significant, you you matter to me. The Bible says a lot about greetings. There was the standard greeting, which translates into English as peace. It's the Hebrew word shalom. But it's an incredible word. It means, basically, I am wishing you nothing but God's wholeness in every aspect of your life. That's a pretty significant greeting. Now, apparently, there were some people who got overly zealous in their greeting, and it was anything but peace. In the book of Proverbs, there's a warning not to get super spiritual in your greeting. It says... If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. And Jesus warns of the religious leaders saying, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to go around or walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. In other words, for these pious people, It was all about greeting them in such a way that props up their status and their importance. Are the right people talking to me in the right way? Do they remember who I am? Do they say nice things to me? Here are some ways to make the choice to be with Jesus when you greet someone. As you greet them, say a silent prayer asking God to bless them in that greeting. Consider the gift of touch when we can comfortably do that again because some people never get touched. Go through the Gospels and see how often Jesus touched people, especially those people who didn't ordinarily get touched, sinners, lepers, children. And every time that encounter with Jesus, they left it experiencing a tremendous authentic joy. Another kind of relationship where we not only make the choice to be with Jesus, but we've got to cling to him is when we have to deal with difficult people. You might not believe this, but you need difficult people in your life. Jesus is very emphatic about this. He said, and I'll paraphrase, love your enemies, those who are difficult for you to like. For if you only love those who love you back, where's the goodness in that? Even evil people do that. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even non-believers do that. 
the ability to love difficult people is a litmus test of spiritual growth. This means you need difficult people in your life. Now, the Apostle Paul gives us an out when he says this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So sometimes it's impossible. Nevertheless, spiritual growth happens in relationships when difficult people are in relationship with you because you are drawn more closely to Christ. Your new intention is to treat them as Jesus would, and you cannot do that apart from him. So if you've got some difficult people in your life, be glad. And if you don't, we'll assign you some. I'm not even looking around at anyone in in particular. Think of someone that's difficult to love. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it varies. The relationship with this person sometimes goes very smoothly. Sometimes it doesn't. And every time you have an encounter with someone who's difficult to love, remember, here's my chance to learn from Jesus what it's like to live in his kingdom. Here's my chance to be with Jesus in the stuff of everyday life. So every day, woven into the fabric of our activities and relationships, our choices to be with Jesus or attempt to do life on our own. Every day, we face the choice to go where the treasure is or to go through the day missing the richness of life found in choosing to be with Jesus. Moses once prayed, and it's recorded in the Psalms, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I pray that God would wake us up every morning to say, here's my opportunity to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to become more like Jesus, and to treasure this day. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.